0: Uh, So, Steve, thank you very much for being here and for sharing with us. Appreciate it. Thank you, Bailey. I appreciate the opportunity. It's always uh, great to uh, be here in the midst of the family that I've grown to love and appreciate here in this church, have the opportunity to preach the Scripture. If you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that we have been talking about this series on the DNA of a Christ follower. And there, there's a list of things there that we've talked about. And, you know, that may be a little bit intimidating and, and daunting when you think about, I have to be all that. Uh, but this is not a list of rules that we're supposed to strive for. I mean, this is not a should thing. This is a description of who we really are at the core of our being, it's our DNA. So when you're born into a family, and you know a lot of the people in your family have you know blonde hair or you know turned up nose or whatever it is, you don't spend your whole childhood saying I got to get some blonde hair, I got to fit into this family. It just naturally happens. It's who you are, and it comes out, and and that's what these DNA descriptors are because just like we're born into a physical family. We're born into God's family and and we're incorporated. We we need to begin to express the attributes of our Father because that's who we are. That's what we can expect to happen. So let's look at the things we've talked about in the past. Lover of God. Now, I, I just have a hunch that we are the kind of people when we see a beautiful sunrise or a flower or a butterfly, our first thought is, "Wow, what a wonderful God we have who created this beautiful world we just it, it, we don't have to make ourselves think that that's just that just kind of flows naturally, doesn't it? Somebody give me a nod, you look like you're okay good good i i i I'm in the right place that's great so it, it, Lover of God is who we are. We just walk around loving God. And when we see people and they have a need, we have this natural sense of compassion. We care about people. That, that's who we are as followers of Christ. We do that because Jesus does that. Jesus cares about people. And we grow up to reflect the DNA that he has planted in us. That word holiness, you know, don't think... You know, Puritan who never smiles—that's not worth talking about. Holiness—it—it it, it means we have a sense of what's right and wrong. We have an attraction to a moral standard that that isn't just conformed to whatever people around us might think. We we are called to a higher level of morality and holiness because the God who is our Father is holy. And we're reflecting His attributes. Truth. How many people prefer lies and deception over truth? Not us. Because God is truth. And we just have an innate, inborn, DNA-related attraction to what is true and beautiful and good. And we live in a world that not everybody feels that way. But this is who we are. This is our DNA. And that's what we're talking about. So if you've been looking ahead, and you see the one that's kind of highlighted there, evangelistic. And that may be why I was getting the glazed eye look earlier, because you were looking ahead and saying, evangelism, I don't know if I want to do I, I don't, That's a little uncomfortable. But I'm not talking about knocking on doors and handing out tracts and buttonholing people on the corner and saying, are you saved? I'm I'm not talking about telling people they're going to hell if they don't come to church. That's not evangelism. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I want to kind of go a little deeper and take another look at what this aspect of a Christian DNA is all about. So we'll start with the Scripture. After the resurrection, Jesus spent some time with his disciples, and he taught them many things over the course of, of time. And one of the, those important ones found in, in the last part of Matthew's gospel, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you and remember I am with you always to the end of the age that's our commission Jesus said to us go into all the world and that that word go is not really like make a special trip and go to Ethiopia and make disciples rather it says as you go about your business As you go through life, invest yourself in helping other people become disciples of me. I want to zoom out and kind of take a, a big picture look at what this is all about. You see, God has an agenda for the world. At the very beginning, God created a good, beautiful, and perfect world. He designed us to live in relationship with God, in relationship with each other, in in harmony with creation. It It was good and perfect, and we broke it. We break it every day. And God, from the beginning of human history, has been about the process Of bringing us back into that harmony and beauty and holiness and goodness that we were always designed for. That's God's agenda. That's why he sent Jesus into the world. That's why he sends us into the world. That's why he says, go into all the world and bring people into relationship with me. That's where life is found. And we have begun to experience that as Christ followers. We have an opportunity to pass that on. You see, that's part of what DNA is about. Every kind of creature has a built-in drive to reproduce itself. This business of following Christ is the same way. It's not just for me and my time and my place in history. It's for everyone of all time. And we stand here on the shoulders of a great heritage of faith. Saints who've gone before us. Parents and grandparents who invested in us. And all the way back to the beginning of time, faith has been passed along from one generation to the next, just like the, the physical DNA of, of our physical bodies, our spiritual DNA has to be passed on to the next generation. Every species, every organization for that matter, if it doesn't reproduce, it will go extinct. And the Christian faith has always been only one generation away from going extinct. We have to pass the faith along to the next generation. That's what evangelism means, really. It's not some scary thing that you have to do and and kind of grin and bear it. It's a natural outgrowth of being alive in Christ. You look for a way to pass it on. So I want to outline four or five practical, everyday steps that we can take to do this. How can we pass on our faith? Number one, in order to share the life of Christ with someone else, the life of Christ must be alive authentically within us. You have to be a Christ follower before you can reproduce that into someone else. Makes sense, doesn't it? Now, I said before that these DNA characteristics are are natural. That's just a part of who we are. But that doesn't mean they're inevitable or automatic. You have to choose to be who Christ called you to be. You have to choose to live in love. You have to choose the morally right thing, even when it's sometimes (laughs) tempting to do the other. You have to choose truth. All of the characteristics, they're natural. I mean, it's what you're inclined to do. But you have to actually walk and grow up to be an authentic expression of the DNA God has placed in you. That's the first priority for everyone. You cannot share what you do not have. So spend time and effort and energy becoming who you are in Christ. That's step one. Step two invest in the next generation. The children and the people who look, naturally you, look to you as a mentor, that's where the future lies. Now, if you're a parent of small children, that's obvious, right? Children are shaped and formed by the environment in which they grow up. And we, as Christ following parents, have a, a, a tremendous responsibility. To provide that kind of environment so that our children can see in us what it means to follow Jesus. And and they can, they're, they're prepared to accept that life for themselves when the time comes. Now if you don't have children or grandchildren, borrow some. Find a way to invest in the next generation. Maybe you have nieces and nephews. Maybe your cousins have children. Maybe there are kids in your neighborhood. Maybe you could volunteer to help coach a soccer team. Find some way to get involved in children's lives. Learn their names. Give them attention and time. Oh, how hungry our kids are for that. Now, we do a great job here in this church of providing that kind of environment and an extended family where children can grow up. I appreciate Tessa so much for all that she and and the dozens, hundreds of volunteers uh, do over the course of the year. That's important. But we have to find ways in every kind of context to share our faith with the generation yet to come. The alternative is not okay. We've got to shape the next generation to follow Jesus. That's number two. Be a Christian. Invest in the next generation of Christ followers. And number three, I'm going to spend really the rest of the time spinning this out. Make friends with people who are not Christians. Now here I am from the imaginary pulpit telling you to go hobnob with pagans i mean really a lot of christians look around and all of their friends are christians don't know anybody who's not a christian well there's something wrong with that picture because there are people around us who are not followers of christ and it In a a way, it's natural. We we all tend to associate with folks who are like us, right? People who share our politics and our values and our church. That's just the natural group we gravitate around. There's nothing really wrong with that unless we let it stop there. Find ways to invest your life in the life of someone who needs to know more about God. And and those people are out there. Let me tell a a quick example out of my own life and experience. After I retired from being an active pastor, I went to work uh, for a couple of years for a a company in an office context. And the the CFO, the financial officer of that business... Was a woman who called herself a Wiccan. Now, if you don't know anything about Wicca, it's it's a religion. You can look it up later. Uh, it, it really focuses on kind of the worship of nature. They believe that the trees have a spirit, and it's actually a very ancient kind of worship. You know, even if you're reading the Bible about the worship of Baal, it's a, it, it, really the same basic thing. People pay attention to nature and you know sometimes they're they're really into ecology and and that sort of thing uh, they may be it, it, they may try to sort of make the spirits of the trees happy so that life will be good now uh, now this woman was she was a bit eccentric she she dressed funny Kind of, kind of on purpose. She, I think she kind of wanted to cause conversation. And, and some of the other Christians in the office were, quite honestly, a little bit afraid of her. <laughs> you know, she, was, she was just You're not one of us. Well, I decided to make friends with her. Didn't do anything extraordinary. But in the break room, you know, I'd chat, talk about what we're having for lunch. You know, just, just be a basically decent, friendly person. If she was at the copy machine and it was jammed, which it usually was, I, I would, you know, maybe try to go over and try to help if I could, and if I couldn't, at least sympathize, you know. And she knew that I was a retired preacher, and so she kind of asked me questions from time to time. Sometimes it, they were they were trick questions, you know. She she kind of she kind of she knew that Christians had a tendency to get defensive. well I didn't I just talked with her about whatever she wanted to talk about and gave her some you know non-defensive answers to some of her questions and we developed a friendship after i left that office it was a couple of years later really my phone rang out of the blue one afternoon and it was her I, she kept my cell phone number i guess and she called up and said you know steve have you got a minute I, I, and she laid out this kind of sensitive, personal family situation. And she was looking for advice. And she thought of me. Now, why did, why did she think of me? She had lots of friends who were also Wiccans and dressed funny. But she, she called me. More to the point. Is there anyone in your life who would think to call you if they had some kind of a personal issue that they wanted, to, wanted somebody to talk about? Somebody they knew they could trust. Somebody they knew would not judge them or, or go off on them, but just be a friendly ear and offer supportive, encouraging advice. You may not realize this, but here in Lubbock, Texas this morning, only about one third of the total population got up even thinking they might go to church. Now, today's less than that. They're all sleeping off their celebration. But, but even, on, even on a good day, I mean, even on Easter, there are There are more people not in church on a given Sunday than there are in church, any church. Now, that that comes as a shock to some people, but that's, I mean, that's a measurable statistic. Some of those people who don't go to church would call themselves Christians. You know, they grew up Christian. That's kind of their cultural identity. They identify as Christians. But as far as having an actual, active, personal relationship with Jesus in any kind of a meaningful fashion, uh, it's been years. And, and a surprising number of those people who don't go to church, more and more of them, especially among the younger generation, don't even identify as Christian. If you ask them, they say, no, I'm just really not into that. Uh, They may not be hostile, but they're not interested. And a great many of those folks who are not Christians living in this community don't have any close friends who are Christians. Because we're all friends with each other. Now I want to say, God is calling us to change that pattern. God is calling us to invest the time and energy and effort that it takes to develop authentic friendships with people who do not follow Jesus. Not in some kind of manipulative way, but just genuinely, authentically care about them as people. They're hungry for that. You know, people don't have many friends. You know, we we were designed really to live in an extended community, an extended family where aunts and uncles and neighbors and friends all kind of support each other. And we've evolved into a society where it's the four of us inside the house with the door locked. And, And we just don't go outside of ourselves to develop real relationships. We can do that. When Jesus said, go make disciples, I really think that's part of what he meant. Get out of your zone, get out of your silo of people like you and make friends with other people. One aspect of doing that and kind of the next point of practical things you can do is pray for these people. The people you know, the people who do your hair and check you out at the grocery store and they have kids on your your kids' soccer team... The, the people you know who don't have a real active relationship with God, pray that God will reveal Himself to them. You're not praying against them. You're praying that God will do something good in their life. That, that God will kind of awaken in them the sense of desire to be more, to, to know more about Him and live in relationship. Those prayers are powerful. And God answers them. Maybe not right away. Maybe not in ways that you can ever see. But those prayers make a difference. I know of churches where they make this a church-wide priority. Every member is expected or asked to write down the names of six people they know who are not experiencing much in the way of relationship with God right now as far as you can tell. And just commit to pray for those six people every day for a month. In churches which which do this practice, they report remarkable results. Folks who haven't been to church in years just show up out of the blue. Friends who you've lost touch with and haven't talked to in forever, they call you up and say, hey, could we go get coffee? I, I need somebody to talk to. That really happens because God answers the prayers of His people. Which leads me to the the next thing. Be available for God to use you as an answer to that prayer. See, there may be somebody that you don't even know, and you're not praying for them, but somebody else is. Their grandmother's been praying for them for 25 years. And God, seeking to answer that grandmother's prayer, thinks to himself, now who could I send to talk to them? Oh yeah, I can... And God will send you. And you can develop that friendship and you can be the answer to someone's prayer by simply being available for God to use. Go around doing nice things for people. I mean... That's not hard. That's not scary. You can do that. And who knows? There are so many people around us who are desperately hungry for authentic relationships. What they're really hungry for is an authentic relationship with God, even if they don't know how to say that. But if they see it in you, they might think, you know what, I want some of that. And you may be in a position to say, well, here's what I experience, and this is what helps me, and you can invite them to church, you can just talk to them about following Jesus. (laughs) You see, this DNA of evangelism is and can become a natural part of who we are. God has put us in this world, this dark, broken, and hungry world. God has put us here so that we can be light, so that we can be bread for those who are starving for relationship with him. We have the bread of life living in us in Jesus. We have the food this world needs. In fact, we have bread right here. This is the body of Christ. This is the food which God has given to transform the world. When we come to this table and we take a piece of this bread into us, God feeds our soul. He transforms us and creates us as his followers. And then he sends us out to be that body of Christ, that bread of life that will transform everyone around us. We are invited to this table. In fact, as the liturgy says... Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, all who are hungry for more of him. Therefore, as those who have been forgiven by Christ, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Will you join me? Merciful God, Hear this good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. So we remember Jesus, who gave his life for us, who broke bread with his disciples before he said to them, "Go and make disciples of others and share the bread, which is the risen Lord." We remember Jesus who took the cup and blessed it and broke and, and gave it to his disciples and said, "Drink from this. This is the cup of covenant, which brings forgiveness." As we pray together, let those who are serving come forward. Lord, we thank you for planting within us the life which is Jesus living in us. Teach us how to be the evangelists who can reach out and change the world in your name, by your power, and for your glory. Amen. So you are invited to this table. You don't have to, in fact, everybody's invited to this table. Everybody in the room, everybody not in the room. There's enough for everyone. When you're ready, come, tear off a piece of the bread, dip it into the cup, and receive the bread of life which transforms you to be the bread of life for the world. When you're ready, let's stand and come forward.